0: Chapter Seven of Lover or Friend by Rosa Carey, Kester's Hero. Measure thy life by loss instead of gain, not by wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice, and whose suffers most hath most to give. Hugo Bassi. Audrey was bent on keeping her promise to Molly but she found a great deal of finesse and skilful management were necessary to secure her afternoon from interruption. First, there was a note from Hillside. Mrs. Harcourt had to pay a round of visits and would be glad of her sister's company, and as Mrs. Ross evidently thought that a refusal was impossible under such circumstances, Audrey felt that she was in a dilemma. Gage will have the carriage, she said, with a trace of annoyance in her tone. She cannot possibly require me, especially as she knows an afternoon spent in paying formal calls is my pet abomination. But, my dear Audrey, you will surely not allow your sister to go alone, began her mother, in a voice of mild remonstrance. She very seldom interfered with Audrey. Indeed, that young person was, in most respects, her own mistress. But when Geraldine's interests were involved, Mrs. Ross could be firm. You are very good-natured, she went on, and I am sure it is very good of you to take all the trouble for those poor neglected children. For Mrs. Ross's motherly sympathies were already enlisted on behalf of Molly and Kester. "'But, of course, your first duty is to your sister.' "'But, my dear mother, a promise is a promise, "'and poor little Molly is expecting me.' "'And then a bright idea came to Audrey. "'Why should you not go with Gage yourself? "'It is a lovely afternoon, and the drive will do you good. Gage would much prefer your company to mine, "'and you know how much she admires your new bonnet.' "'And though Mrs. Russ faintly demurred to this, "'she was, in the end, overruled by Audrey. "'Dear mother!' She and Gate will enjoy themselves thoroughly, thought Audrey, as she watched Mrs. Ross drive from the door, looking the picture of a well-dressed English gentlewoman. Audrey had to inflict another disappointment before she could get her own way. Michael wanted her to go with him to the cricket field. There was a match being played, and on these occasions Audrey was always his companion. She understood the game as well as he did, and always took an intelligent interest in it. Audrey was sorry to refuse him and to see him go off alone. ''Never mind, I dare say I shall only stay for an hour,'' he said as he took down his hat and walked with her to the gate of the grey cottage. Molly was on the watch for her and darted out to meet her. ''Oh, Miss Ross,'' she said excitedly, ''I have so much to tell you. Mama has to go out to London this morning on business, and she's so sorry because she did not see you yesterday, and I was to give you all sorts of messages and thanks, and now, Blue, please come into the kitchen a moment and you'll see how hard we have worked.'' Audrey followed her at once. ''Oh, Molly!'' How could you have done so much? She exclaimed in genuine surprise as she looked around her. The plates and dishes were neatly arranged on the dresser, the dish covers and tins hanging in their places, the crate of glass and china emptied of its contents and in the yard. The floor had been scrubbed as well as the table, and Biddy stood by the side of her freshly black-leaded stove with the first smile Audrey had yet seen on her wrinkled face. It's not all Miss Mully's doing, she said with a chuckle as she carried off the kettle. "'Did your mother help you?' asked Audrey, for Molly only looked mysterious. Mamma, Oh, dear, no. She was busy all the evening with the curtains. "'Oh, what fun. I do wish Kester was here, but he is studying his Greek. "'Dear Miss Ross, you do look so puzzled. "'It was not my mind, it was not Biddy, though she cleaned the kitchen this morning, "'and of course it could not be Kester.' "'I will give up,' returned Audrey, laughing. "'Some magician must have been at work, and a very clever magician too.' "'Oh, I will tell Syl replied Molly, clapping her hands. Why did you not guess Cyril, Miss Ross? He is clever enough for anything. Do you mean Mr. Blake put up all these plates and dishes? observed Audrey, feeling as much surprise as an Athenian damsel would have been if she had heard of Apollo turning scullion. Yes, indeed, I must tell you all about it, returned Molly garrulously, for she was an inveterate chatterbox. You know, I had promised to help Biddy because she was in such a muddle and then Mama came down and said we must get the dining room curtains ready to surprise Cyril when he came home. Well, he was very pleased but I'm afraid Mama thought that he took more notice of the way his books were arranged than of the curtains but he said it all looked very nice and that we were getting to rights now and then Mama said that as she was in the mood for work we must as well do the drawing room curtains too. But my dear Molly, the furniture is not yet arranged. "'No, of course not, but you don't understand mamma. "'She never does things quite like other people. "'She likes either to work all day long "'and not give herself time for meals even, "'or else to do nothing, but she likes beginning things "'and she hates being compelled to finish them. "'That is why I am obliged to wear this shabby old frock,' "'looking down at it, ruefully. mamma has two such pretty ones half done, "'and I don't know when she will finish them. Does your mother make all your frocks, dear?' Yes, and she does work so beautifully. Everyone says so, but she is not always in the mood. And then it troubles her. She was in the curtain mood last night. Cyril saw I was vexed about something and when Mamma went out of the room he asked me if I were tired and I could hardly help crying as I told him about my promise to you. And then he called me a little goose and pulled my hair as he sometimes does and told me to leave it to him. Yes, as Molly paused from sheer want of breath. Of course, Cyril can always manage Mamma. He sent me into the kitchen, and in ten minutes he came after me and asked what was to be done. Kester dusted all the glass, and Cyril and I did the rest. We were hard at work till ten o'clock, and Biddy was so pleased. And now we must go upstairs, returned Audrey, when Molly's story was told. Perhaps Biddy will be good enough to help us. And in a little while, the three were hard at work. Audrey and Molly arranged the shabby furniture to the best advantage. One or two oriental rugs spread on the dark polished floor. Then the curtains were hung and draped in the most effective manner, and some old china that Molly said was her mother's special treasure was carefully washed and placed on the shelves of an old cabinet. It really looks very nice, observed Audrey contentedly, when Biddy had gone down to see after the tea. She had enjoyed her afternoon far more than if she had been paying those calls with Geraldine. I always liked this room very much, and she gave a touch to the big Japanese screen and flecked some dust from the writing table. "'I dare say your mother will alter the position of the furniture. "'People always have their own ideas, "'but I hope she will not move the couch "'it stands so well in that recess. "'Do you think she will like this little table in the window, Molly? "'I am sure this would be my favourite seat.' "'And Audrey took it for a moment as she spoke "'and looked down at the old arches in the quiet courtyard "'with its well-worn flagstones. "'The Martins were twittering about the eaves. "'Some brown, dusty sparrows were chirping loudly. "'The ivy-covered buildings round the corner were just visible.' and a large grey cat moved stealthily between the arches, intent on some subtle mischief. Mr. Charrington's boys were all on the cricket field, watching an exciting match between Rutherford and Haleybury, and the schoolhouse was deserted. That must be your seat when you come to see us, observed Molly affectionately. "Mamma was only saying this morning that she had taken a fancy to you, and and hoped you would come very often, and Kester said he hoped so too, because you are so very kind. Do you have many friends at Headingley? asked Audrey absently. She was wondering to whom Kester was talking. She could hear his voice through the open window. It sounded bright and animated. It could not possibly be his brother. Mr. Blake would be with the boys in the cricket field. Perhaps Mrs. Blake had returned from town. We had no friends at all, returned Molly disconsolately. At least no real friends. People just called on us and left their cards. mrs Bryce was very kind to Kester, but Mamma never got on with her. We none of us liked Headingley much except Cyril. Everyone was nice to him, but when Mamma fretted and said she was miserable and that no one in the place cared for her, he seemed to lose interest too, and when this vacancy occurred he just said he'd had enough of it and that Mamma would be happier in a fresh place. And so we came here, and now we have found you." And Mali's brown eyes were very soft as she spoke. "Oh, you will find plenty of people to like at Rutherford," replied Audrey. "'You have not seen my mother yet, Molly. "'She is so good to everyone, and so is father. "'And then there is my cousin, Captain Burnett, "'who half lives with us. "'He is one of the nicest men possible.' "'But as Audrey spoke, "'she had no idea that Michael was that minute talking to Kester. "'It fell out in this way. "'Michael found it slow on the cricket field without Audrey. "'So many people came up and talked to him "'that he got quite bored. "'Captain Burnett was a general favourite with men as well as women. "'He had the reputation of being a hero.' Women pitied him for his ill-health and misfortunes, and men admired him for the cheerful pluck with which he endured them. Bennett is a pleasant fellow and a gentleman, was one observation. Perhaps he's a bit solemn at times, but I fancy that confounded wound of hers gives him trouble. Anyway, he never plagues other people with ailments. Grin and bear it. I fancy that is Bennett's motto. Michael found the cricket field dull without Audrey's liveliness to give zest to the afternoon. She always took people away when he was tired. He had had enough of it long before the match was over. Just as he was sauntering homewards, he encountered Mr. Blake, and in the course of brief conversation, he learned that Mrs. Blake was in town. Michael thought he would call and see if Audrey were ready to come home. It would do no harm to inquire at the door, but Biddy, who was scouring the doorsteps, told him abruptly to step in, and he would find the lady, and half amused at his own coolness, he, nothing loath, accepted the invitation. He found Kester alone in the dining room, busy over his lessons. He looked up in some astonishment at the sight of a strange gentleman, and Zack, the retriever, growled rather inhospitably at Booty. Perhaps the Dachshund's short legs affronted him. ''Am I disturbing you?'' asked Michael in his most genial manner, and he looked at the boy's pale intelligent face with much interest. ''I've come to see after my cousin, Miss Ross. Is she anywhere about? My name is Captain "Oh, I know." returned Kester, flushing a little nervously under the scrutiny of those keen blue eyes. Cyril told us about you. Miss Ross is upstairs with Molly. They are putting the drawing-room to rights, but they'll be down to tea presently. Will you sit down? Still more nervously, or shall I call Molly? No, no, there is no hurry unless I am interrupting you, with a glance at Kester's books. You are doing Greek, eh? Yes, I am getting ready for Cyril this evening, but I am too tired to do more and Kester pushed away his papers with a movement that betrayed latent irritability. Michael knew that sign of weakness well. That is right. Shut up your books, he said with ready kindness. Never work when you are tired. It is bad economy. It is using up one's stock of fuel too recklessly. Lighting a furnace to cook a potato, the results are not worth it. Tired work is bad work. I have proved it. I am generally tired, returned Kester with a sigh and it was sad to see the gravity that crept over the young face. "'It does not do to think too much of one's feelings. "'One has to just bear it, you know. "'I'm ignorant enough as it is, and I must learn. "'I will learn,' setting his teeth hard. "'Michael shot a quick glance at the lad. "'Then he turned over the leaves of the book next to him "'for a moment, in silence. "'I must know more of this fellow,' he thought. Audrey is right. "'She is generally right about people.' "'Then, in his ordinary quiet tone,' I wonder your brother finds time for private tuition. I live at the lower school, you know, and so I understand all about the junior master's work. Mr. Blake has his evenings free, generally, but there is dormitory work, and... Cyril says he will always give me an hour and a half, interrupted Kestrick eagerly. Of course, it is not good for him to have any more teaching, but he says he would hate to see me grow up a dunce, and... and... Swallowing down some secret emotion, I think it would break my heart not to know things. And you want to be a classical scholar, in the same grave tones. I want to learn everything, and here there's a sudden kindling in the boy's eyes. I must do something, and my lameness hinders everything, but that, perhaps if I learn plenty of Latin and Greek, I may be able to help Cyril one day. We often talk about it, and even mother thinks it's a good plan. One day Cyril hopes to have a school of his own, when he's older, you know, and then I could take the younger boys off his hands and save him the cost of an usher. Don't you think that would be possible? looking anxiously at Michael, for somehow those steady, clear eyes seemed so thoroughly to comprehend him. "'I think it an excellent plan,' retained Michael, slowly. "'Knowledge is power, we all know that. Do you know,' drawing out his words a little, "'that I have been working at Greek, too, for the last two years. I took it up as a sort of amusement when I was seedy. It would not be bad fun to work together sometimes.' I dare say you are ahead of me in Greek, but I don't believe you could beat me in mathematics. We could help each other, and it would be good practice. I suppose your brother gives you lessons in mathematics. Kester shook his head. There is not time for everything, and Cyril always says mathematics are not in his line. He is a classical master, you see. "'Oh, yes, that is easily understood, but you can have more than one master. Come, shall we make a bargain? Will you read Greek with me, and I will give you an hour three times a week for mathematics or anything else you like? I am an idle man, and any fixed occupation will be a boon to me.' "'Do you mean it?' was the breathless answer, and then he added a little shyly. Uh, "'Awfully obliged. I should like, like it of all things, but you are not strong, are you? Miss Ross told us so.' Not particularly. I was rather knocked about by the Zulus, you know, and my leg gives me a good deal of trouble. I am pretty heavily handicapped. We are both in the same boat, are we not? But we may as well make a fight for it. Someone told me, returned Kester in a tone of great awe, that you have the Victoria Cross, Captain Burnett. Michael nodded. He never cared to be questioned on the subject. Will you let Molly and me see it one day? half whispered the boy. I hope you don't mind my asking you, but I have always so wanted to see it. I'm afraid you won't tell us about it, but I should dearly love to hear. No one had ever induced Michael to tell that story. The merest allusion to his gallantry always froze him up in a moment. Even Dr. Ross, who was his nearest confidant, had never heard the recital from his own lips, but for once Michael let himself be persuaded. Kester's boyish eagerness prevailed. And to his own surprise, Michael found himself giving the terrible details in a cool, business-like manner. No wonder Kester forgot the time as he listened. The lad's sensitive frame, thrilled with passionate envy at the narrative. At last he had met a hero face to face. What were those old Greek fellows, Ajax or Hector, or one of those gaudy warriors compared with this quiet English soldier? Oh, if I could only be you! He sighed as Michael ended his recital. If I could look back on the deed like that, how many times did you save Captain Bennett? You told me, but I've forgotten. I think you are the happiest man I know. Kester, in his boyish reticence, could not speak out his inmost thoughts, or he would have added, and the greatest and the grandest man I have ever seen. A dim, inscrutable smile flitted over Captain Bennett's features. My dear fellow, happiness is a purely relative term. I am not a great believer in happiness. A soldier without his work is hardly to be envied. Kester was young, but his life had already taught him many things. He was acute enough to detect a note of bitterness in his new friend's voice. It said, more than his words, that Captain Bennett was a disappointed man. He looked at him wistfully for a moment. Yes, I know what you mean. You would like to be back with your regiment. "'It is very hard. Very hard, of course, but you're not suffering for nothing like me. "'Don't you see the difference?' dropping his voice. "'I've got this pain to bear, and no good comes of it. "'It's just like bearing and nothing else. "'But you have suffered in saving other men's lives. "'It is a kind of ransom. "'Oh, I don't know how to express myself, "'but it must be happiness to have a memory like that.' Kester had spoken with a sort of involuntary outburst. For a moment, Captain Burnett turned his head aside. He felt rebuked by this crude, boyish enthusiasm which had gone so straight to the heart of things. Why was he, the grown man, so selfish, so impatient, when this poor lad acquiesced so meekly in his fate? Had Kester deserved his lot? You are right, observed Michael in a low tone. One ought only to be thankful and not complain. And just at this moment, Audrey came in and stood on the threshold transfixed with amazement until Michael rose and offered her a chair. You hear? she gasped. I thought I heard voices. Molly, this is my cousin, Captain Burnett. I suppose we must let him stay to tea. Molly gave her invitation very shyly. The poor child was thinking of her shabby frock with the great rent in the skirt, so hastily cobbled up. The pale man with the reddest moustache was very formidable in Molly's eyes. Molly was sure her hand would tremble when she lifted the heavy teapot. She had been so looking forward to having a cosy tea with the dear Miss Ross, and now everything was spoiled. When Molly was shy, she always looked a little sulky, but Michael, who noticed her embarrassment, set himself to charm it away. Biddy had set the little tea table under the acacia tree, but as Molly, blushing and awkward, commenced her arduous duties, she found herself assisted by the formidable Captain Bennett. Before half an hour was over, Molly thought him quite the nicest man that she had ever seen. He was so kind, so helpful, he told such interesting stories. Molly forgot her Cinderella rags as she listened. Her eyes sparkled. A pretty color came to her face. Her rough brown hair had gleams of gold in it. Molly did not look plain or awkward then. Her eyes are nice, and she has a sweet voice, and a ringing laugh, thought Michael as he glanced at her. How merry they all were. "'What nonsense they talked "'as they sat there watching some pigeons "'circling among the arches. "'The little garden was still and pleasant. Zack was stretched out beside them, "'with Booty curled up near him. "'Audrey was the first to call attention "'to the lateness of the hour. "'We must go home now, Michael,' "'she said in a tone of regret, "'which was loudly echoed by Molly and Kester. "'Molly closed the green gate after them, "'then she rushed back to Kester. "'Do you like him? "'Captain Burnett, I mean?' "'she asked equally.' I was so afraid of him at first. His eyes seem to look one through and through, even when he says nothing. But he is kind, very kind. Is that all you have found out about him? returned her brother contemptuously. That is so like a girl. Who cares about his eyes? Do you know what he is? He is a hero. He has a Victoria Cross. He has saved a lot of lives. Come here, and I will tell you all about it. It will make your hair stand on end more than it does now. But the story made Molly cry, and from that hour, she and Kester elected Captain Burnett "'to the position of their favourite hero.' "'We must tell Cyril all about it when he comes home,' "'observed Molly, drying her eyes. "'You're right, Kester. "'Captain Burnett is quite the best, "'and the nicest, and the bravest man I've ever seen.' "'Yeah, yeah,' interposed Cyril, "'mysteriously thrusting his dark face "'out of the dining-room window. "'He had heard the whole story "'with a great deal of interest, "'and then as Molly darted towards him "'with a little shriek of assumed anger, "'he laughed and sauntered out into the garden. As to do our Greek out here, old fellow.' He said, throwing himself down on the grass, while Zack jumped on him. Have you got some tea for me, Molly? Or have you forgotten the teapot and your hero worship? How late Mother is. He hesitated and looked at Kester. She would like to meet her. It is such a long, lonely walk. But no. As a cloud stole over Kester's face, perhaps you will take the omnibus. Open your books and let me see your day's work. And Cyril quietly repressed a yawn as he took a cup of cold tea from Molly's hand. He was tired. A walk through the dewy lanes would refresh him. He was in a restless mood. He wanted to be alone, to stretch himself and to think, perhaps to indulge in some youthful dream. But he was used to combating these moods. He would rather bear anything than disappoint Kester. And then he drank off his tea without a murmur, and the next moment the two brothers were hard at work.